This morning I want to speak with you from the subject, A Matter of Death and Life. A Matter of Death and Life. To the end that the power of the gospel might daily lead us in Christ to subdue sin and live for God. I want to speak to you from this subject by looking at a passage in the book of Romans, chapter 6. And I'm just going to read a few verses in Romans chapter 6, beginning at verse 1. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. A matter of death and life. One evidence the gospel is true is your changed life, or your changing life. I am talking about ethical changes, not a hypocritical conformity to some moral standards, but an organic, internal, holy, spirit-driven change that has results external results which can be observed in how you live, results that can be heard in how you talk and the things you talk about, and results that can be felt in how you relate to people. I am talking about changes that produce an increasing hatred for sin, as well as an increased subduing of sins, Changes that result in an increased abandoning of oneself and one's members to the will of God. Changes that result in an increasing love for God, love for godly living, and love for loving people in a godly way. In Paul's letter to the Romans in chapter 6, we find a very strange question being asked, what shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? This question picks up on a matter that Paul addressed in chapter 5, verse 20. There it says, now the law came in to increase the trespass, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. One of the results of God's gift of the law is that we now know that we are sinners in need of saving. God's character, our corruption, both revealed by the law of God, and the need for Christ are evident because of the law. Not only that, but when we did not know Christ, the law produced even more rebellion because of our intrinsic hostility toward God's sovereign authority. Although through the law our sin increased, 
God's grace abounded above and beyond our sins. And with this thought in mind, we return to the question asked in chapter 6, verse 1, what do you say to this superabounding grace of God? Paul is essentially asking, what then shall we say to God's grace? What then shall we say to the gospel? Well, what do you say to the gift of righteousness so freely given? What do you say to the redemption we have in Jesus, the fact that he delivered us through the payment of his blood? What do you say to the fact that Jesus has taken upon himself the fury of God, the wrath of God? He is our propitiation. He took the punishment that your sins deserve. What do you say to that? Belonging to God. What do you say to belonging to God? What do you say to experiencing true happiness, being forgiven for everything, being covered, all your sins, and not having any sin reckoned to you? What do you say to becoming an heir of God? What do you say to being declared just as righteous and just as sinless as Jesus? What do you say to having peace with God, access to God, standing in a gracious realm with God? What do you say to the hope, the certain hope of the glory of God? What do you say to a life being transformed? What do you say to God's love being poured out into your hearts? What do you say to the Spirit of God being given to you? What do you say to being loved by God? What do you say to being saved by, from his wrath, being reconciled to him? What do you say to the eternal life that he gives in Jesus Christ? What do you say to all of this? Let's continue to sin and get even more good stuff? We have God's superabounding grace. Does he also have a super-duper-abounding grace? Sin and sinning is not and never a means of God's grace. Paul has dealt with this kind of thinking earlier in his letter in chapter 3, beginning in verse 5, it says, But if our unrighteousness serves to show the righteousness of God, what shall we say? That God is unrighteous to inflict wrath on us? By no means. But if through my lie God's truth abounds to his glory, why am I still being condemned as a sinner? And why not do evil that good may come? As some people slanderously charge us as saying. And Paul says their condemnation is just for believing that. What do you say to God's grace? Just because our unrighteousness serves to highlight God's righteousness does not make our unrighteousness right. Just because my lie brings God's truth into sharper focus does not mean that I should continue to lie. No, continuing to sin so God's grace may abound even more is not the way you respond to God's grace revealed in the gospel of Jesus Christ. May it never be is Paul's answer to such a thought. 
Paul says, you, you died to sin. How on earth could you continue to live in sin? And this is common if you think about many things that we experience on a daily basis. When you get married, it is insane to continue to live like you're single. When you get a job, it makes no sense at all to continue to live like you're not employed. When you get adopted, you can't live like you're still an orphan. When you enlist in the armed services, you can no longer live like a normal citizen. And when you're liberated from slavery, it's insane to go on living like you're still a slave. When you converted to Christ, the reality of what God did for you in Christ's own death on the cross was activated. You were baptized into Christ Jesus' death, which verse 10 says was a death to sin. Jesus died for sin that you might die to sin. When Jesus was crucified, he became sin. He became guilty. He was punished so you might be free to be identified with him, united to him by faith, brought into fellowship with him, that through grace you might abide in him and he in you. Paul says says elsewhere, I have been crucified with Christ, and it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. He also says, For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. And so although there's references here to uh, conversion and water baptism, what's really going on here is a spiritual baptism, a spiritual uniting of a believer to Jesus Christ. So it is insane to think that having been so identified and united with Christ, we should now sin more to experience even more, uh, even a deeper grace and reconciliation. Sin is not a means of grace, but a means to death, condemnation, and separation from God. That's one reason God's grace is so amazing because sin, more than anything, calls for God's wrath to come crashing down on your head. Paul says, we were buried, therefore, with him through baptism into death, by which he confirms to us that in union with Christ, we made a clean and permanent break with our old way of living in sin and for sin, in order that a new way of living might become our permanent lifestyle. That way of life is said to be a walking in newness of life. And this new new existence, this new normal for a believer, is founded on the historical reality of Jesus' resurrection from the dead by the Father's glory. 
Jesus' resurrection revealed the glory of God in that it honored the payment of the crucifixion and restored the elect into a permanent, peaceful relationship with the Godhead and inaugurated a new creation, a new heavens, a new earth where righteousness begins to dwell and swell. Our union with Christ Jesus is activated through the gift of faith. And faith in Christ does not lead to sin, but to righteous living. This chapter, chapter 6 of Romans, is concerned and preoccupied with the believer in Jesus living righteously in response to the gospel of Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. The good news and faith in this good news, the way we acquire the good news is through the gift of faith. This good news, the Bible teaches us, does not overthrow this faith Faith in the gospel does not overthrow the law of God. In chapter 3 of Romans, it states in verse 31, Do we then overthrow the law by this faith? And the answer is, by no means. On the contrary, we uphold the law. So not only is our baptism and burial through baptism um, by which we're united to Jesus Christ a way of making a clean break with our old way of life, but our faith in the gospel of Jesus Christ is a faith that establishes the law of God. It's, it establishes a standard of living that we are called to. Tim Keller once uh, said that when we get this wrong, we go about thinking, well, God loves forgiving sin and I love committing sin. This, is a, this really is good news. But Believing that is obviously to believe wrong. That when we, when we believe in Jesus Christ and are, and are baptized with him spiritually and buried with him and, and, and have been raised with him, uh, it, it changes everything about our orientation and our, our way of living. Faith in Jesus leads to a life for Jesus. This passage began with a question. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin? And and that question is in some sense also answered by by what Paul asked later on in the letter to Romans. In Romans chapter 8, he stirs up God's people with God's love. And that's what being united to Jesus does as well. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? 
He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elected as God who justifies? Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died, more than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? As you know, he goes on to a long list of things that in no way can ever separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. And it is that kind of union that we have with Christ that relationship that we have with Christ, it's a love, as the hymn writer said, that will never let us go. And it's that kind of love that calls us to a life of love, a life of loving obedience, a, a response of gratitude to the gospel that is empowered in us by the Spirit of God who has been given to us as, 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 as the Apostle John says, for the express purpose of glorifying Jesus Christ to us. Because we have been overwhelmed by God's love, a love that calls us to love in return, what we say to this grace is, have your own way, O Lord. Do whatever you will with me. What do we do with this grace is clearly stated in this chapter. In Romans chapter 6, it, it turns from what we call the indicative, the things that God has done, into the imperative, the things that we do in light of the things that God has done. In Romans 6 verse 12, Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body. And sin is lawlessness. Let not that sin reign, let not lawlessness reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments or literally weapons for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments, weapons for righteousness. And here's the reason why. For sin will have no dominion over you. That's a fact. And the reason why that's true is since you are not under law, but under grace. A believer is not under the law of God in the sense that of being under the curse for disobeying the law, or simply under the sin-exposing characteristics and quality of the law of God. He's been removed from that domain to the domain of the Spirit. And the domain of the Spirit is not a domain that is lawless, but it is a, it is a domain filled with the power of the Spirit, filled with the new creation that comes from the Spirit of God, that puts a new heart inside of a believer. As one theologian expressed it, that when we were unbelievers, we were wholeheartedly against God. But now that we have become believers, we are, may not be wholeheartedly 
obeying God in every sense, but our heart has now been subdued by the grace of God, driven by the Spirit of God, as God works in us both the desire to do and the power to do what He calls us to. And so we are to to offer our bodies up, our members up to righteousness. And this is this is this takes effort. And there are some in Christian circles who believe that the Christian life is effortless. There's no effort. You just need to just believe and everything automatically falls into place. But there is effort involved. There is effort involved in offering your members and offering your body to God and to His his ways. Listen to what the Apostle says in chapter 12. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, that is, what is good and acceptable and perfect. And we see this uh, also in chapter 6. We see this, this call to not present your members to one thing, to sin, but to present your members to God as those who have been brought from death to life. It takes discipline to set your eyes where they should be, to give your hands to things that they should be given to, like generosity, helping others, not stealing or or fighting, to give your whole body every member of your body, to a godly way of life that takes a mind that is set on the realities of the gospel and a will that is increasingly disciplined in the pathways that God has given in his law. Not in order to gain favor with God, but because of the fact that we have the favor of God. And that is a lifelong process that we are called to. And it's rooted in the fact that Christ has both died and we have died with him. Christ has been buried and we have been buried with him. Christ has been raised from the dead and we too have been raised from the dead with him. And of course, in Romans 6, it is referring to a spiritual resurrection a new life that has invaded, in a good way, our our being. And so we are called daily to put to death the things that are against God and to give ourselves fully to the things that are pleasing and honoring to God. God bless you this resurrection morning.